Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. And we're going to talk about that today in this idea, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. Now in the Gospel of Matthew, there's this large crowd that gathers And Jesus tells them that he hasn't come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. How many are familiar with this? He hasn't come to abolish, but he's come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Now, this word fulfill in the English translation of a Greek word, it really means this, to bring to completion, to accomplish, or to carry into effect. Isn't that cool? So Jesus wasn't down in that. See, I think sometimes, and I think I was just as guilty of this when I first kind of turned on to this grace thing is we started to look down our nose at the law, but the law served a purpose. It was here for a reason. You know, Jesus was a Jew born under the law. And you know that he actually preached the law, but he also prophesied this new way of grace. But see, the law, I've said this before, but it's important for us to understand is We're not to live by the letter of the law. We here in the new covenant are not living by these laws, these proclamations on tablets of stone. But those proclamations, those commandments on this tablets of stone were supposed to move people who didn't know who God was or didn't quite understand him to this way of living love and justice. But like all of us, they failed. And so it wasn't that the law was bad, it was, it was the best scenario for where they were then. Because there were all around them in the culture, uh, there were you know, um, different empires and rulers and kings and they had temples and they, had, you know, they actually had covenants and they had arcs of covenants and they worshipped their gods in these temples and so it wasn't much different. So I believe that God was working within what they knew. And that's what I want to really want to talk about over the next several weeks is sometimes what we do is we have a tendency to, we read scripture and we put ourselves into every scripture that's written. And what we have to understand is that the Bible, the scriptures weren't written to you, they were written for you. And you go, well, no, they were written to me. Listen, the apostle Paul didn't have you in mind when he was writing the church in Corinth 2,000 years ago. Does that make sense? So I'm not bashing the Bible. I'm just saying when we read Paul or, or Peter or Moses or Isaiah, we have to understand they were writing to a particular people at a particular time for a particular reason. And so Jesus, when he came on the scene, he started saying things like, you have heard it said, and he'd go through something they heard said, because by the way, most people were illiterate anyway. Uh, there were only certain scrolls that held the scripture that were located in temples. So the people didn't read. Everything was passed down for thousands of years through oral, right? It was taught. It was, they were big into this. They actually could memorize and stuff, right? Today we're like, all we, electronics, we just Google it. I don't remember what it is. I'm, I don't even know people's phone number anymore. I'm like, if I lost my contacts or my phone book and my phone, I could never talk to any of you. But see, this was oral teaching passed down, and eventually it was put in the words. Once Israel became a nation, an empire, they, they had scribes and Pharisees. They had people who could translate the oral down and write it down. Does that make sense? Because sometimes we think that the Bible just like magically dropped out of the sky one day. God wrote it with his own hand. 
These were men who were writing history, poems inspired by God, uh, ideas from God. And here's the thing. They only could write according to the revelation level they were at at that time. And so when Jesus came on the scene, the reason he would say things like, you have heard it said, but I say to you is because we got some stuff wrong. What? Yeah. Jesus was clearing some stuff up. Because how many know that Jesus, the incarnation, was God in flesh? And so God literally came to us in human form, experienced everything that we experience. And he was saying, I know that you've heard this said like this, but I want to clear some stuff up. That's why I say that whenever you read any portion of scripture, Old Testament or New, we have to take Jesus with us. What did Jesus say? And so if we look a little closer in the history, we'll see this whole idea of abolishing and fulfilling. Jesus said what? He says, I didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets, but to fulfill them. Now, with a closer look, we'll see that abolishing and fulfilling were common ways of speaking about the Torah, or we could say the scriptures. How many know what the Torah is? The Torah, I actually got a definition for you. In Judaism, it's the law of God as revealed to Moses and recorded in the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures, which is called the Pentateuch. You learn something new every day. So when they would refer to the law or the Torah, it was this, this re revelation that Moses had gotten. So this idea of abolishing and fulfilling were common ways of speaking about the Torah in Jesus' day. Now, when people were discussing the Bible, because they would discuss the Bible back then, which, by the way, wasn't the Old and New Testament, right? It was the Torah. It was the prophets. It was the law and the prophets. And so when they would discuss this, they would try and figure out what it looks like to live this out. How do we live out what these scriptures are telling us? Because they did hold it in high esteem, and I think we should hold the scriptures in high esteem as well. We just have to understand how to interpret and how many knows we're not all going to get the same interpretation? Just, just one way we can know this is there's like 31 to 40,000 different denominations. That's how I know we're not going to all interpret it the same. Okay? And I'm not here to say one person's interpretation is wrong over mine. I know that I'll have some stuff wrong. And I believe that most people have good intentions. And we just know what we know. Does that make sense? And so they would try to figure out what does it look like to live this out if, if someone suggested a terrible, misguided interpretation, they would be told this, you have abolished the Torah. Now hear this out. Because we look at this sometimes when Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish, I came to fulfill. So in this time, they understood this language. They're like, oh, okay, I, I know what Jesus is saying, why? Because my uncle the other day was in temple and he interpreted a part of the scripture, and one of the rabbis said, you have abolished the law. You have abolished the Torah, which means that's a really bad interpretation, bro, so why don't you rethink that? And then they would talk about it a little bit. But what's really cool is if somebody would interpret it, and we were in agreement, and we were like, yes, that's what it means, that's what it looks like to live this out, then you'd say, today you have fulfilled the Torah, so think about this. Jesus says, I haven't come to misinterpret or give you a bad interpretation of the Torah or the law or the prophets. I came to give you a clean, clear 
and concise translation or interpretation. Isn't that cool? See, the Jews would understand this, but here in the 21st century, we're just like, okay, Jesus, whatever that means. But to them, they hear the word abolish and they heard the word fulfill. And then like, he's talking about interpretation. So that's why when he would say things like, you have heard that it was said, I say to you, he wasn't abolishing, he was fulfilling. He was saying, here's the true interpretation of what you're seeing here. Because that was the goal. It was to take the words of the scripture, I want you to hear this, and bring them to life. See, I believe, I mean, anybody that says, man, the Bible's boring, you're not reading it right. It's not boring at all. It's like, wow, there's so much, there's so much depth. And I mean, it's, it's poems. The Hebrew poetry is beautiful. It's hyperbole. It's all this symbolism. It's history. It's different takes on God. And we're going to get into this in the next several weeks. We're going to break down some ideas so we can go, I never saw it that way because it's so cool. Listen, if you think the Bible's boring, you're not reading it right. I'm just telling you. For years, I mean, even as a pastor, I'm like, what am I going to talk about? This kind of boring. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Maybe not. <laughs> because I didn't quite understand. What, what is all this about? Why am I learning about like these genealogies? How many of you ever read the Bible and you get through those genealogies and be honest, you skip them? But there's a reason that they're there because when you trace them back, there's these nuances of things that you're like, wait a minute, like the fact that, that Jesus came out of line, a line of people who were murderers and prostitutes. That's his descendants. That's where he descended from. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is very subversive. Uh Uh-huh, exactly. But it's on purpose to show us that life isn't perfect. And the scriptures, even though inspired, everyone's ideas weren't perfect of God yet because they didn't fully understand him. But we get full revelation through Jesus Christ. And that's the beauty of that. So we have to use Jesus as the litmus test. And we could even say this, we have to use love as the litmus test when we're reading the scriptures. So it was this goal to take these words, to bring them to life in your life. That's the movement of the Bible from word to flesh. That's what we mean by the word incarnation. See, the Bible doesn't reach its fulfillment or completion in just the words. It's about the powerful thing that happens when the words are lived out in the real world by real people. That's why I say all the time that we are learning who we are and whose we are. And we're we're learning about this thing called salvation that's within us. And the apostles tell us to work out our salvation, which means what? Deliverance, preservation, safety, healing, wholeness. We're working out the kingdom. That's our life. We're trying to take what the law and the prophets were saying, which is summed up in Jesus as he interprets what that means, to say, this is what it looks like to live out kingdom life. What is the kingdom? Righteousness which is a really long religious word to say right relationship. So it's right relationship, it's peace. How many could use a little bit of peace? I think the world could, we've been doing this for years, but it hasn't worked yet because we're not living kingdom. It's joy, not just happiness, because we know happiness is an emotion based on what's happening. 
But joy is even through conflict, we can be joyful. Even when that next door neighbor refuses to turn his music off from the night before and it continues on and on and on and on and on, and you think about calling 911, you, you hesitate for a moment and say, you know what, I'm gonna let him enjoy himself and I'll close my window. Why? Because I don't wanna operate in peace and joy. See, it's the little things. And if we can start with the little things in life, what can that grow into in the big things in life? That's why it's important. So when Jesus comes along and he says that he's come to fulfill the Torah, he's actually, to me, I believe he's announcing that he's come to make it speak, to show what it looks like in actual space and time. See, I don't think that this whole gospel message is so much about the afterlife. Listen, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. No argument from me. In the Old Covenant somewhere, the um, Old Testament, I'm going into covenants now. In the Old Testament, it says that all spirits return to the source, to the Father, to God. So to me, that's not even an issue. But see, it's about how we live it out right now in this actual space and time. So this was, I believe, to the people listening, they're both familiar. I mean, people would have completely understood this abolishing and this fulfilling language, but it also was this bold, radical thing to say. Like, I've heard it said, or you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. Jesus interpreting scripture. We can say this, God was interpreting what he inspired where some people may have got it wrong because they didn't understand him completely. He was clearing it up. Does that make sense? You follow me so far? So we love the Bible, but we have to see what does Jesus say about these things. Now, according to Matthew, Jesus then launches, Matthew chapter five, I think it's four, five, six, it's this long dissertation. He launches into a series of teachings that has this pattern. And the pattern is, you have heard it said, but I tell you, which was Jesus' way of saying, you've heard people interpret Torah this way, but I'm here to tell you this is how to interpret it. And then he offers new interpretations, which brings us back to you and me, here and now, reading the Bible. I believe that one of the more compelling questions you can ask about an idea or theme in the Bible is, what did Jesus say about it? See, we had this big campaign years ago, WWJD, what would Jesus do? But let's change that. What would Jesus say about those portions of scripture? How does Jesus look at that? I'll give you an example. Um, violence. Think about this, because I've heard people say, I-, I just can't handle the violence in the Old Testament. And so one side says, well, God just had to do it to teach people lessons, which doesn't really make sense to me. Well, they just... And we're going to expound into some of this stuff, but you know, if you look at the example of Jesus here, he went to his death on a cross without any violent retaliation. That's what Jesus has to say about violence. Not you bombed us, so we're bombing you. You invaded us, so we're invading you. He's like, you killed me, and I'm not retaliating. What? Come on, Jesus, this is getting thick. Now listen, I'm not saying this. Jesus said this. I don't want you to be like, man, pastor, where are you getting that opinion from? Uh, Jesus? How many are followers of Jesus? Are you sure? Because he said a lot of things that I'm still trying to like work out in my life. I'm like, I don't really want to follow that, Jesus. I want to punch him in the face. And Jesus says, no, turn the other cheek. I'll get back with you, Jesus. I'm working on this. 
So we're all in the same boat, right? We're all growing. This is a journey. We're learning what it means, but I truly believe we need to ask the question, what did Jesus say about it? So with violence, what did Jesus do? He didn't retaliate. That's how he reads those passages. He, he didn't come to keep violence in circulation, but he came to bring it to an end. And think about the most violent books, the book of Judges, extremely violent book. Do you know he never quotes or mentions them? Never once does he, does he quote from Judges. Wonder why? Because Judges was all about retaliation and getting people back and I'm going to pay you back and I owe you this. And Jesus was like, no, we're not going that route. Jesus, not my opinion, right? This is Jesus because I tell you, I love those movies where people get what's coming to them. How about you, right? Hollywood makes a lot of money off those. Like, yeah, get them back for what they did to you. And I get it, so I understand, but Jesus is saying there's a different way to live. And I'm like, Jesus, I'm struggling here because I live in America and it's all about paying people back. And he's like, yeah, but that's not kingdom. That was a hard swallow. So roll with me here. What does Jesus say? Whenever there was a group that had been distanced or marginalized, what did he do? He intentionally moves towards them because there are passages in the Old Testament especially, and even in the New Testament, that divide between this group and that group. There's division. There's us and them. And what does Jesus do? Oh, you're distanced? Oh, you're marginalized? Hey, guess what? I'm going to move towards you. I'm going to hang out with you. Wow. What if the church were to do this? Because we're great at Facebook posts. We're awesome at picket signs. We're great at pointing our fingers at people and telling them what's up and how they should be. But what if we moved into their space? Oh, that's the world, Pastor. Yeah, you live in it. So take the kingdom into that world. And the kingdom is built on what? Right relationship. Maybe we can start there. It's built on peace. Maybe we can start there. It's built on joy. Maybe we can start there even. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything somebody does, but most certainly we should step into those spaces because guess what? You bear the image of God. The kingdom is within you. So bring that kingdom into those situations and change the atmosphere. Bring life. People are looking for life. They're looking for hope. Bring those things into that atmosphere. So whether it was women, Samaritans, lepers, sinners... He consciously and intentionally steps over whatever lines have been drawn to spend time with people because he loves people. What about the passages that call some people clean and some unclean? This just gets me. He hugs and touches and blesses the unclean people. And the religious of his day said, we ain't having that. See, what Jesus did was extremely subversive. It got him killed. It got him hung on a cross. You can't come against empire and religion and not pay. Because to them, we're going to pay you back. And even in the midst of that, Jesus says, I will not retaliate. Remember when Jesus said, I can call a legion of angels? Messengers? This is the actual translation. Every king at that time, if he was under siege or someone was, you know, had something against him or ambush, guess what he would do? He would call to his army, his messengers, to back him up, to slaughter those people for what they were doing to him. And Jesus refused. 
the king of kings refused to do what earthly kings do. And somehow we missed it. This is Jesus, right? So Jesus didn't follow the popular, popular um, interpretations of a day because Jesus wasn't just making new interpretations. He was also claiming that something new was happening in the life of his people in the world, and it was happening through him. I think it's beautiful. Now, in the book of Luke, there's a story about Jesus. He goes back to his hometown to preach this sermon, and he would go into the temple, and when he went into the temple, every, every service that they had, they would have this liturgy. They would have a portion of scripture that they would read. And it just so happened that day that they brought out the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. So he opens up, and he starts reading. I want to start here in verse 16 of Luke chapter 4. It says, when he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as it was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Look at this, verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. Here's what he, here's what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now look at this. He stops right here. And look what happens, verse 20. And he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And it says that the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Look at this. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, a couple things here we need to see. The first thing is Jesus doesn't finish the prophet's statement. If you go back to Isaiah and you actually read the very last statement after Jesus says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the next line is, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Now, you've got to understand, Isaiah was speaking to a people who had been oppressed, had been brought into captivity, and they were looking for payback. And Jesus says, oh, I'm not going to interpret that the way he did. You know, shortly after, they tried to actually kill Jesus, to run him off a cliff. Why? Because you're taking our vengeance away, Jesus. Who the heck do you think you are? But Jesus said all the oppressed, the sick, those who needed new life, he was there for them and there was no vengeance included. See, how did Jesus interpret it? This is really big to see. Also, number two, when Jesus finishes reading the scripture, he says, today the scripture is fulfilled. There's that word again in your hearing. In other words, today I have properly interpreted this scripture for you. Can you see like he could have did a mic drop, right? But he didn't because he wasn't haughty, he wasn't arrogant. He was trying to show people the truth of what it looks like to live out kingdom. So when he says this, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, it's another way of saying this passage is about me and what I'm up to. He doesn't say that Isaiah or the Torah or the law are irrelevant. Did you see that anywhere in there? He simply says that they've taken on flesh and blood in him. That's what these scriptures do. Can you see why they wanted to try and kill him? Those are radical, bold claims for a rabbi to make. Now, people, when they talk about Jesus, we hear things like, he was this master teacher, 
Jesus was the inspiring role model for life. He was all about social justice. He had these profound, deep insights into the infinite. He understood things we didn't. Even some things he told the apostles, I just can't explain it all to you right now because you're not going to quite get it. But over and over again, when when I see the life of Jesus, it's like he insists that he is doing something far more significant and essential than all of that. Jesus keeps claiming that something new is happening in this world and it's happening through him. See, what I want this to do in this series is not just give us a different perspective on scripture. I want us, when we read the life of Jesus, I want us to try to put ourselves into his frame of mind the best that we can. I want us to put ourselves into those places and spaces Uh, when he was with the apostles, when he was frustrated, when he was passionate, when he was full of compassion, uh, when he would deal with people. I want us to get into that place because no longer are those stories boring. They become real. They're living. They're breathing. There's something within the layers. Because sometimes we just do a flat reading of the Bible. I did my two chapters today and we're missing the point. It's so much deeper than this. Jesus came to introduce ourselves to this kingdom that's literally been there the whole time. We just didn't see it. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, in order to see the kingdom, you must be born again. He wasn't talking about going to heaven. That'd be another another Sunday. It's going to be really good. Because born again was even a term that the Jews and the rabbis used. It wasn't something that Jesus created so we could use it. Are you born again? There's so many things that go so much deeper than that because again, if it's all about this afterlife, then what happens is we pray the prayer, we're good to go, and then we don't give a crap what happens day to day to people around us and to our world. That can happen. Not saying everybody, but, but I know people are like, man, oh man, I hope Jesus comes back soon. I'm like, why? Like this place is going to hell in a handbasket. I'm like, well, why don't you do something about it? First of all, a handbasket? Is there a handbasket that goes to hell? I'm kind of lost on that one. Seems like it would burn up before I got there, but anyway, that's, I digress. But maybe the point is we're supposed to awaken to this new way of life and then begin to live it out so others can see it. See, I believe that was the calling of Israel, and they missed it, just like you and me. And that's why interpreting is so important. So how does Jesus answer these questions? I believe something involving heaven and earth are coming together. This is what Jesus is saying. The divine and the human in the same place, which to me is beautiful. If you ever wonder if God can be around or near you, yeah, he inhabited flesh, right? And I like to go as far as to say he's inhabiting your flesh right now. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's there. He's not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of your missteps and your falls. He's trying to help clear that up so you don't have to suffer the consequences. But the whole time he's like, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Awaken to this. We can clean some stuff up. Let's do it together, right? So one of the first followers of Jesus, his his name was John, John the Beloved, the Apostle John. How many of you are familiar with him? He began in his gospel with this great line, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love what Eugene, Eugene, that's a new name. His name's actually Eugene Peterson, but he wrote the Message Bible and he put it like this. He moved into the neighborhood. Jesus literally moved into where we were 
in our space, our place, what we're dealing with, what we're going through. Maybe not here in the 21st century, but there. But I believe that it, we represent all of humanity in that some of the issues that Jesus deals with, it's not much different than today. Than today. And as we go on week after week, we're going to start going, okay, that's vaguely familiar to me what they're going through because we're experiencing the very same things now. Why? Because we haven't awakened to the kingdom yet. We haven't awakened to who we are and what we hold on the inside of us. Jesus said he came to put flesh and blood on the Torah. He makes new interpretations. And then get this, he invites us to enter into the discussion. Now this is huge. Because for some of us, we think, well, the preacher, he gets paid so he can study. And then he can tell us what's up as far as interpretation is concerned. Well, that's true to a certain point, but you're allowed to interpret as well. You're allowed to read as well. You're allowed to disagree with me. We're an open space and an open place. If you don't agree with me, we can talk about it. Maybe we'll agree later, maybe we won't, but man, agreement certainly doesn't equal friendship, so we can still be friends. Isn't that awesome? I just have the privilege of standing behind this pulpit and saying a few words, but if you don't agree with me, that's okay. And maybe you can change my mind if we can have a civil conversation over a coffee or a beer and just talk about something and say, okay, you know what? I don't quite see what you're saying there. Explain it some more. I'm totally open for that. So, you know, talk to me afterward. But I truly believe that we all are invited to enter into this discussion. Jesus tells his disciples at one point in Matthew, check this out, Matthew 16, verse 19. I want you to catch this. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now stop right there. Stop right there. The kingdom of heaven, which is the kingdom of God. If you're not familiar, there's four gospels. Matthew is the only gospel that calls it the kingdom of heaven. Do you know why? It was written to Jews. And the Jews would not utter the name of God. So in his language, like even here, if you wrote in English, it would be G-D. So in the three gospels, Mark, Luke, and John, it says kingdom of God. In Matthew, it says kingdom of heaven, but I want you to know that the same kingdom. Now listen to this. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Say amen. I got the keys. Now when I used to read this, I used to actually imagine like these spiritual keys, like Jesus, they glowed and stuff, and Jesus gave them to me, and I'm like, ooh, what are those for? I think it's so I can like open the pearly gates and get in. I don't know, right? But think about this. How many have ever been on YouTube? YouTube has everything, man. If you want instructions or know how to do stuff, don't call your local guy. Now call them, okay? Like the other day we called the bee exterminator because I wasn't about to get on YouTube and figure that out, okay? 62 stings later, I think I got the nest, you know? But so call people if you need to. But, but here's the thing on YouTube, like we had this situation where our dryer broke down. It wasn't heating anymore. How many know if a dryer doesn't heat, it's worthless, right? It's just fluffing them around. It's like, no, I want them dry. I want them shrunk so that they can fit over my stomach better. Well, it totally goes out and, I, and I'm like, what are we going to do? So I called the local guy, which we do. I like to use local, you know, companies. And when he came in and gave me the price after I got back up off the floor, I said, well, let me check into some different options. And so he literally, it was like 430 or 50 bucks to fix the heating element. And that's including one of the pulley things that was going bad. So I'm like, okay. So, you know, I get online and I start looking. I think, I'm going to look on YouTube. So I found this video on YouTube of the exact same dryer 
step by step, pulling it apart, the part that I needed. I went to GodForbiddenAmazon.com and I got all my parts for less than $100 and I put it all on myself. I saved over $300 because of YouTube. Now, a lot of times when you go on YouTube, have you ever someone, they'll say something like, the five keys to growing your finances. The 10 keys to winning in relationships, right? There's all these things. So when I think about this, I think about YouTube. It was like Jesus saying, listen, guys, I'm going to give you some keys, not physical keys, but keys of the kingdom. These are some main points, some sticking points you can take about the kingdom. And how many know we did? He gives us these keys, right relationship, peace, joy, love, grace, goodness, loving your enemy, turning the other cheek, praying for those who despitefully use you, or we could say in the Greek, it actually means harass you. You ever been harassed before? Pray for people that harass me, Jesus. I think you fell and bumped your head on a stone, buddy. But the thing is, it can be done because Jesus showed it. He spelled out. So he says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And look at this. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Have you heard it preached like that before? Bind it, bind it, loose it, loose it. And so we think, all right, I just got, I got to bind and loose stuff. I'm going to start praying prayers and stuff and try to bind and loose. Do you know that has nothing to do with the context of what Jesus was saying? All it takes is a little digging in the history. What is binding and loosing? What is he talking about? Listen to this. Binding and loosing was a first century way of talking about interpretation. So when he says to his disciples, I give you some keys, some main sticking points to the kingdom right now, and check this out. I now give you the authority to interpret Torah. Come on. This was huge. Only the rabbis do that, Jesus. Yeah, I get it. I know what the religious system says, but guess what? I, by the Holy Spirit, will inhabit you. And then you and I together will interpret what it's truly saying. You don't believe me? How many remember the vision that Peter had on the roof when he was taking a nap one day? The sheet comes down. It's got all these unclean animals. And he says, take and eat. God does. And he goes, I can't do that. I'm a Jew. I'm a good Jew. I can't do that. The vision was what, three times, Bruce? And three times he says, I can't do that. As soon as he wakes up from that third vision, there's a knock on the door and these Gentiles who are considered the unclean say, will you come to our master's home? Bing, light bulb goes off. He goes, it wasn't so much about the, fo the food. It was about what I call clean and unclean because God says to him, don't call unclean what I have called clean. Come on. So he had this moment where he had to make a decision to bind or loose. In other words, interpret what scripture said because according to the Torah, according to what he knew, he couldn't go to their house. He was not even supposed to be in the unclean Gentile home. But what does he do? He goes. And when he walks in, this is crazy. He walks in. It says that they were actually were, he, the spirit fell upon them. The Gentiles, the unclean people, he went, whoa, whoa, what is going on? This was only supposed to be for us. See, us in the mentality. 
God was working with him. What was happening? He was binding, he was loosing, he was changing ideas. He was reinterpreting what the Torah had told him and he was defining it according to Jesus who, by the way, would hang with the unclean folk who would be with the sinners and the prostitutes and the tax collectors and those who were called unclean. Learning point. There was another time where there was all these Gentiles who were becoming followers of Jesus. And they had this Jewish council in Jerusalem, all followers of Jesus who were trying to figure out, this is what's so cool to me because we think they just had it all together. But you know, at one point that it says that Paul, the apostle Paul, that he withstood Peter to his face. In other words, he got up in his grill and he said, dude, what you're doing is wrong. They argued about interpretation. That means it's okay. They argued about it, but they remained friends. Is that even possible today? Can we disagree and still be friends? I think we should be able to. So they had this issue. You know, they were Jews who were now following Jesus. There was this brand new way. And that's what's, that's what's just awesome to me is that I'm watching them change their thinking. I mean, I'm watching them, they're wrestling with old ideas that they had. And they're looking at this new way of Jesus going, how do we reconcile? How do we put this together? And so they had this issue where there were Jews who were telling the Greeks or the Gentiles you can be a follower of Jesus as long as you as a male are circumcised because the Torah says, there's probably some 30, 40 year old Gentiles who are like, I don't know if I wanna follow Jesus right now. <laughs> but see, they were wrestling with this. And it's so interesting to me because they had this council and they came up with, okay guys, okay. Circumcision, we don't have to do that. Every Gentile was like, Thank you, Jesus, right? But there's just a few things. See, they were learning parameters. And it's, it's one of the most interesting statements I've ever read. It's in the book of Acts. And when they come up with this plan, they present it. This is how they say, this is how they cap it off. They say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit in us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. It seemed good? I mean, we got people in pulpits saying, this is what it is. The Bible clearly says. I'm like, well, it's not very clear because there's a lot of other denominations saying something else, right? right? So sometimes us pastors need to get off our high horse and realize other people have different interpretations and not all of us will be right, right? right. But what a statement. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Are you sure? Because you don't sound very confident. I, I literally think they're like, Okay, guys, we've been talking about this for days now, and we just came down this list, and you know what? It, it seems pretty good to us and the Holy Spirit, which means it might change in three weeks or three months, but hey, we're on a journey. Isn't that awesome? See, we try to make everything so black and white. It's got to be, you know, we got people on debate teams that are, I'm going to debate, and I'm going to defend the Bible. Guess what? God doesn't need to defend the Bible. He's big enough to handle himself. He puts his big boy pants on every day, I believe. You don't have to defend the Bible in every little crevice. Enjoy the Bible. Read it. Let the Holy Spirit help you interpret it. But this whole defending thing, I think we get, we get so, we get tunnel vision. We put ourselves in a box. I did this for years. And I'll tell you what, it is so much better outside the box. Oh, man, it's so much better. And I know we go, well, if you're outside the box, 
what's going to happen? I mean, you don't want to trip and end up in like the third ring of hell or something because you misinterpreted something. Listen, don't freak out. The Holy Spirit's with you. Listen to him. Now, some people, yeah, they deconstruct to the point where there's no faith left. But the whole point about, you know, mind renewing, Romans 12 too, that's how we become transformed. Renewing isn't just getting rid of everything. It's putting new stuff in. So that's one thing that we'll do here at Faith City for you is we might see something and go, wow, we're seeing a different interpretation here, but we're not going to just say that's wrong and then say, have a great Sunday, go be blessed with your family. We're going to say, we don't quite see it like this, but look at this new way of thinking, which by the way, the rabbis, the Jews, they argued scripture all the time. They debated, they wrestled with it. It was like something they did and no one was offended. I mean, it's like, this is what it's there for. We don't completely understand God and we're trying to. How many want to know more about God? It's not going to happen overnight. You wrestle with it. You, you do what you got to do. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus tells his disciples that just like me, it's your turn to make decisions about what's written in the Bible. When he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom, and he tells them to bind and loose, this is what he's saying. It's like he's saying, hey guys, check this out. You watched me do it, now it's your turn. And they did. They wrestled with it. They grappled with it. Guys, figure out what it means to put flesh and blood on the scripture. What does it look like to live this out? In your place, at your time, in your world, figure it out. Because there's so much more. You're just getting started. Like I said, the Bible's not boring unless you're reading it wrong. It's beautiful. It opens up this, this kingdom that's full of grace and love and goodness. And you're like, I didn't even see it in between the cracks. I lost it somehow, but there it is. He even says another time, he says, you'll do greater works than these. Because he couldn't tell them everything. You know, after Jesus rose from the dead, it says that he spent 40 more days with them before he ascended. 40 days, breaking down the law and the prophets, how it pointed to him and what the kingdom meant. These guys were radically changed by Jesus, but they still were grappling with old ideas. I mean, they were Jewish boys. They grew up in Jewish households. They would go to temple. The temple was this, this beautiful, beautiful place on the hill. It was big. It was gold. It was gems. It was all this just, wow. And then Christianity was meeting in some little small home with a dirt floor. It didn't look as appetizing. That's why Hebrews says that some tasted, but then they left. Why? Because their family's like, why are you meeting in that little house church down there when we got this beautiful temple with all the rituals for you? Their intentions were good. I really believe they were. But they didn't want to let go of the old system. So it's important that we need to figure out what it means to put flesh and blood on the scriptures because there's so much more. In other words, keep engaging, keep arguing, keep wrestling, keep interpreting. Never stop turning the gem. And then for the rest of the New Testament, what do we see? The followers binding and loosing. Peter, the Jerusalem council, Paul, it's what they do. So maybe, just maybe, it's okay to ask questions. Now, maybe you grew up 
you know, in a denomination where you didn't question the man of God, you didn't question how the scripture was taught there, but I'm telling you right now, from what I can see, this is Jesus. I'm trying to go with what the master says to me, that it's okay to ask questions. Maybe it's acceptable to look at different ways of interpreting the scriptures. And listen, we will keep the Holy Spirit in the journey with us. So as the, the weeks come here and we go through some things that may be stuff you never heard before, but I'm telling you right now, it's radically changed my life. It's, I've just fallen more in love with God and his goodness. It's made me more, if I can say that, of a follower of Jesus because I'm like, man, there's no other way except for this kingdom way. I don't want to do anything else in life. If the doors of this building closed and I didn't have a title called pastor, I would still follow Jesus. There's no better way to live. And you can't convince me any other way. And I won't be mean about it, but it's just the way that I'm going. And I get to enjoy life. I get to pursue my passions, which is people and some other things, but I get to pursue that all at the same time, living out kingdom. It's freeing folks. It's awesome. So I really encourage you to come back next week for Dr. Guy, but then the week after that, as we continue to expound on some of these things. So Really, here's, here's the thing I'm thinking about. If it's okay to ask questions, I'm thinking this because Jesus did and he told his disciples to. So really the question is, maybe we should as well. What do you think? Question some things that we've heard, especially when they make God look bad, when they don't make him look angry and retributive and opposite of Jesus. That's what I don't understand sometimes. So when I hear something, I go, okay, that doesn't line up with Jesus. Then we dig a little further and we go, oh, we're not properly understanding. Because let me tell you something right here. I heard Jake say this one time, Pastor Jake down at Grace Culture, and it just astounded me. He says, reading an English Bible is not studying the scriptures. How many know it wasn't written in English? You got some Greek, some Hebrew, some Aramaic, some translations through time and languages, German, you know, these different languages, English. And so it's beautiful that it's it's stayed together as well as it has over, you know, as long as it's been interpreted, you know, and, and translated. But we have to realize that when we just read a flat reading over English words, we're missing. And that's why I love to dig into the ancient languages and see what it's saying. Because sometimes I'm like, wow, that actually wasn't the right word. And let me say this too. Some people that translated the Bible, they had bad intentions. They, yeah, they intended to change words around to manipulate people. I mean, there were some bad points in the church. Thank God we're still here, but there was points where they were trying to control people, manipulate, get money out of them. Uh, it was pretty bad, but we're still here. And look at the revelation that's opening up. Does that mean we, we don't like the Bible anymore? We love the Bible, but now we have the opportunity just online to just study and Google so many things that we can see. Wait a minute, this is what it's really saying, and it's so beautiful, and it really backs up what Jesus says. So again, today was just a little intro into us looking deeper into some of the interpretations of Scripture and really discuss, discussing and wrestling with the Scriptures together. So I encourage you, come back in two weeks and we'll continue. Did you get something out of that this morning? It's going to be fun. It might be a little more teachy and heady, but just come with your thinking cap on. I don't even know where you buy those, but bring your thinking cap and we'll think this through and we'll talk more about this. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for... Uh, just this day today, it's been so good and just really that revelation that it's okay to ask questions, that it's okay to uh, maybe look into things that we've questioned because we're not sure. 
And I pray, Holy Spirit, as we go through the next several weeks that you'll be with me in those times of study. You'll be with others in those times of listening. And together we can come up with some conclusions that maybe we won't have every answer, but we'll get closer to the truth of who you are and in turn closer to the truth of whose we are. And so we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Say this with me. God, you love me. You're my father. Jesus, you're my example. Holy Spirit, you're with me. Thank you. I'll listen and I'll open myself up to whatever you need to say for me to do. In Jesus' name. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.